Welcome to this episode of How to Lead Virtual Teams, a free and flexible course designed for managers and leaders in the virtual and hybrid workplace. This course is designed to develop strategies for managing people and projects in this complex shifting landscape. And each week includes an episode to listen to, prompts to reflect with, and tools and resources to explore. I'm your host, Dr. Mara Deepwell. Let's dive into the episode. Hi, and welcome to part three. This time we're going to be focusing on setting shared expectations. This topic is all about thinking around what we need to communicate as managers and leaders, what our responsibility is to set expectations and set an example with and also for the people we work with and where their responsibility starts. We're going to think around different examples of how to communicate those expectations in different contexts. So, for example, we're going to look at work-life balance today and also thinking about collaborating or meeting online using examples from chapter one and two of leading virtual teams. Later on in the podcast, we're then going to reflect on this topic using a couple of different prompts, thinking around our practice and communication expectations to our team and setting an example, and also thinking about how that applies to our own expectations of ourselves. Towards the end, we're going to have a look at the tools and resources included for this topic and what you could explore further if you want to do a deeper dive. There are plenty of factors that shape the way your team works. Most of all, the people involved. So even if you're recruiting a completely new team, in all likelihood, you'll have a group of people made up of a mix of new faces and experienced colleagues, some of whom may remember a time when their office still existed or when they worked in one. As it's still rare for teams to be made up entirely of individuals who've never worked in a co-located context. And that's an important factor as everyone's expectations of working in a team will have been shaped by their previous experiences. So before you go ahead and start setting out expectations, it's worth investigating that a little bit. For example, you try and get a feel for everybody's experiences and previous expectations. Ask some questions about their most favorite or least favorite thing about their previous workplaces. Find out whether they've brought some parts of the office in quotation marks home with them and get a feel for how working in a virtual team feels for them. For example, the cycle of a year or product development schedule may really impact upon the way you work. So for example, if you work in an academic context, the start of a new term or the arrival of students may have meant that there was a buzz and a sense of busyness around the organization or around your department previously. That's hard to replicate when everybody is based at home. Or if you run events or training courses, that too could determine the shape of a month or year. Anything really that can help differentiate between the days and weeks or mark milestones is really helpful to a blended or virtual workplace. 
because there's a stronger potential for every day to feel the same when you're always at home and always on your own. Sitting in front of screens for eight hours a day, regardless of what happens at work, quickly feels repetitive. So that is one of the things to investigate a little bit when you're looking at how you're working and setting out expectations about what you want to achieve as an organization or as a team. There are also likely to be different levels of organizational knowledge and familiarity with how things are done in any given team um, that affect how individuals can engage and perform their job. So for example, even small things like how you plan holidays, how you take lunch breaks or screen breaks vary greatly from organization to organization and then within organizations as well. In your context, it might be perfectly in order, for example, not to say hello when you start work every day, for example, via instant chat or DM, and to use communication tools such as email for formal communication only. While in other teams, not typing a greeting into the chat or joining a daily coffee meetup might come across as a snub or really rude. The level of online informal conversation varies really a lot between different teams and even between different individuals in a team. Some people rely on a single virtual work environment. Um, others create a mix of different tools and productivity platforms that they use. And it takes some time to effectively model um, the way that things should be done to your team and to embed that within your culture. Um, and I think that's particularly true for those of us who are managing workforces or leading projects with people whose primary experience of working from home was during the pandemic and who might not have had a lot of time to really get into healthy, productive ways of working that feel good to them and that give them the level of connectiveness that they are comfortable with. And I found that the level of connectedness and how to achieve that can vary greatly within individuals. And one of our challenges as managers or leaders is really to try and look out for some signs of how different individuals like to relate um, and what is an effective way to build a rapport with them when it comes to digital communication. So for instance, someone might really hate using tools like Slack um, and they're never going to be comfortable communicating informally via that. Um, or you might find that, you know, some people will always defer to email or more formal ways of communicating if that's what they've done for, you know, 20 years and find that a more comfortable way of communicating. So very often, I think there is a lot going on a combination of personal preference, digital skills and digital literacy, um, confidence, and also a, can be a lack of clarity of why it's necessary to do certain communication tasks or why getting it, why getting into different habits um, online might be beneficial. That can be the result of someone not communicating well. And I think that's our biggest challenge as leaders or managers for managing people who we don't see very often in person 
if you don't communicate and you don't hear from someone, there's not an awful lot for you to go on. Are they unwell? Have they gone AWOL? Are they just lazy? You know, what is the issue here? Why not hearing from them in the way that you expect to? And that is one of the, I think, real issues around building trust um, with your workforce, with your colleagues, with your teams. And that is one of the key themes within the course that we're going to come back to again and again. As a manager, we also have oversight in ways that individuals lack usually. You might look out for how your whole team is communicating as a whole, and you might find that there's one or two individuals who are more silent or more absent or less engaged than others. But to an individual who doesn't have that viewpoint and doesn't need to think about how everybody is communicating, that might come across very differently. So I think many of us can struggle with determining the cause for why certain ways of communicating, such as a team meeting or maybe a more informal get together, um, isn't working the way we were expecting to or isn't creating the engagement we're expecting to. And one example I came across is um, someone who organized um, a fun activity for their team, a monthly virtual escape room, and no one turned up at all. It was completely empty, no one came. So in that case, you know, what do you do? And how do you investigate why people weren't there? So some of the factors you might want to um, consider in such an example would be, you know, what was the aim of the activity? And is that very clear to, to people why we were doing that? Um, was it scheduled at a bad time or on a bad day? Did everybody actually manage to access or use the platform or tool that was used? Um, more often than not, I find some innocuous technical issue at the root of people not engaging. Um, should more people have had a say in what was chosen or organized? Maybe you just got the vibe wrong completely and everybody wanted to do, I don't know, virtual gin tasting instead. Um, is it simply too much? Are you overloading employees with the amount of engagement you're expecting from them? And importantly, is the activity that they're not engaging with actually respecting their time away from work? Some very enthusiastic virtual teams and workplaces um, can feel really intrusive to employees who are not used to engaging online outside of working hours and who may not see the point. They might have been quite happy to go for a coffee after work or um, see people in their lunch break. But suddenly when it becomes a very defined activity that you have to take part in at 7 p.m. and usually putting the kids to bed or make dinner um, is a completely different ballgame to them. Whatever factors are causing activities like this escape room example to fail is really worth investigating. Because as a manager or as a leader, you're really looking for clues as to why things aren't working and then coming up with strategies to hopefully getting into um, more productive, more effective ways of engaging with your group of staff or with your team so that you can really build effective ways of collaborating and communicating as a group. And the informal part of the communication is really important. And this is something we talked about in the last topic, 
because it really helps build some of those relationships um, and build familiarity outside of the context of having to perform or having to be productive. And I think within a leadership position, you really need to also try and build some close relationships that you can really rely on. Building those kinds of relationships will take time to figure out and you will learn about other people's communication preferences. Um, now I, um, I, for example, have come across plenty of people who prefer to have a difficult conversation on the phone rather than staring at someone across a, a video screen. Or sometimes people find it really difficult to be present in a way that, that you need them to be. Um, and so finding ways of building trusting relationships over time sometimes requires us to be very flexible about how we communicate and where we meet and when we meet and creating some safe spaces so that you can have those conversations that inevitably in every role where you have managerial responsibilities you are going to have to have at some point whether it's in your capacity as a line manager or when a project goes off track or maybe it's just a, a change that's happening across the organization so you have a whole range of tools at your disposal whether or not you use them habitually and sometimes stepping out of a habitual tool for example, your common video platform and having a, a phone call can kind of shift a conversation and shift the context of it in positive ways that enable you to to share with someone more honestly or maybe having a frank conversation um, similar to what would maybe happen if you took someone out of the physical office space and going to have a, a coffee or a walk together. And Coming back to our focus today on setting shared expectations, all of these different considerations that we've just started to explore feed into what you need to tell people in order to set expectations. All of these different things that influence what your expectation looks like and what you expect people to do when they communicate as a team and how they collaborate as a team need to be articulated and need to be explicit because otherwise people are left guessing and they're not acting how you need them to act and they're not engaging how you want them to engage most often because they simply have no idea that that's what you're looking for so as well as thinking about where the people you work with come from in terms of their experience, their context, their previous work experience and how that's shaped their expectation. We are going to use the reflective part of today's topic and thinking where our own expectations are coming from and how they shape our expectations. One of the key challenges that we face when we set out expectations for how our teams are working together is that there is so much about managing and leading people who permanently work from home or mostly work from home that is simply outside of our control. Different personal, social and economic circumstances impact on productivity and well-being of everyone who permanently works from home. And 
also this is something where now particularly in the context of recruitment and selection which we talked about in the previous topic we need to set out very clearly from the beginning there is just so much when it comes to the day-to-day -day lived reality of working virtually or working in a hybrid workplace that we don't have any influence over we do have more influence over and control over the digital way in which we collaborate and communicate and that opens up ways of thinking about setting out those expectations for what day-to-day -day working in this team or in this organization should feel like and what you're really aiming to get across and work-life balance is one of those sorts of tricky issues that i think can be very much a fundamental part of what your team feels like to work in day in day out and the example that you set in terms of how you manage your own work-life balance is really instrumental in giving people a signal of what is acceptable and what we're aiming for so i think if you know we've all been there and had the experience of having bosses that work 24 hours a day and are constantly on dm email or on social media and communicating about everything work deadlines um don't respect after hours don't respect that being always connected is maybe detrimental for many of us and don't respect boundaries that work and personal life should have between them and however carefully we might set out expectations that are different from the behavior that we are modeling and the behavior we are setting as example i think in the absence of a lot of other clues that people might have in a co-located or physical work environment the way in which we communicate is one of the most powerful ways in which we can set an example whether we wish to or not and i've certainly unwittingly set some examples in the past that i really regretted <laughs> and um, had to pedal back from quite quickly so one of the key considerations for us then when we set expectations is thinking about how we practically set those expectations as well as what we actually tell our teams or write in our guidance or documents so one of the examples i wanted to explore was around specifically work-life balance um when it comes to doing both day-to-day -day things um but also looking at how we communicate um, less formally at work. So one of the examples in chapter two of leading virtual teams is using a simple way to check in with each other um, to open up, for example, a regular meeting or team meeting to give everybody a chance to say hello before formal business starts. So you could make this quite a functional exercise um, so example rating the day out of 10 where 10 is the busiest or you could use a star system or you could take a more creative approach and give everybody a freedom to make up their own scale um, whether that's a color or a phrase or a metaphor or maybe emojis um, whatever it is um, can be a really nice way of you starting to signal that you care about how everybody is as well as jumping straight into the most important business 
of the meeting. And the answers that you contribute and how you contribute to these as the manager or leader, or maybe the convener of the meeting sets the tone. And it might be really obvious to say that, but I've been in very many online meetings where the chair or the person um, leading the meeting really wasn't participating in some of these activities, particularly if they're less formal. And I think the more senior you get, the more difficult it is to get over yourself sometimes and kind of join into activities like that. And I think we really need to get over ourselves and over any reluctance that we have to join into communication like that when we are leading people, particularly primarily online. And it also, I think, gives you an opportunity to highlight some of your approaches to work-life balance. So for example, you might want to say, oh, you know, I am really busy today and I'm working on this. So I'm giving myself, you know, I don't know, three very hectic unicorns, but I am going to make sure I finish on time today because I need to get to soccer practice for my son, or I need to get to the supermarket because I'm cooking a nice meal tonight. I think mentioning things that are happening outside of work, but that no one can see you do because you're at your desk at your home and we don't know what you're doing um, is really important. Similarly, you might want to communicate or narrate things like, oh, I'm having a tea break now, or I'm taking a few minutes away from my screen and normalizing um, moments of disconnection really helps emphasize the responsibility others then have to do the same, but also to be present when you do need them to be present and engaged and connected. So I hope that's a helpful example on how you can set shared expectations very practically, but also how you can use very small activities like checking in with people at the start of a meeting to help underline those expectations and help reinforce those values that you have. Another related example of that I want to point out is thinking about how sharing success in a virtual team can help with work-life balance and help shared expectations and setting a, a healthy, balanced, positive work culture. Because as we all know, it's really difficult to make people feel as valued and as seen and as celebrated without being able to hear people clapping, without being able to hug, without being able to, you know, smile at them in person. It is much harder to communicate a sense of appreciation when you, all you have to go on is little, you know, animations of uh, a celebration signal or um, a cake or, or something like that. I don't think anybody feels the same um, about those sorts of visual signals. And you need to work very hard to make an emotional connection to a celebration or a milestone in person, versus I think that we have many more opportunities to build those kind of connections and memories when we are working with people in person. But that is not to say that you can't do it. And that is not to say that it can't be very meaningful. It just takes a different approach and it takes some thinking about. So one of the 
other factors here is that we are very tempted, I think, particularly using a lot of technology that is designed to help us be more productive, to move on as soon as we've achieved one milestone to the next one. So as soon as we tick off one list, one thing off our list, we move on to the next thing. As soon as we've dealt with 10 emails, there is always 10 more. As soon as we've read one thread of instant messaging, there is 400 more. And that can feel very much like there is a never ending requirement to be more and more productive and to work faster and to work more and to work longer hours and to not disconnect. Technology is very insidious in our working life and we need to give it very clear boundaries. And one of the most fun boundaries that we can give it is to celebrate and give praise and to really step back when we have achieved something so that we have time to look at that. Um, I think plenty of us, particularly those of us who are suffering from imposter syndrome, for example, struggle to give ourselves credit we deserve um, and to share credit and praise in a work context. And as I just mentioned, we're very quick to just move on to the next thing. In some senses, you could say that workers don't want to look like they're blowing their own trumpet by sharing their success. And that results in managers and other team members often not being aware of the great things people are doing. Similarly, often as a manager, you don't want to take up too much of people's time. And so you tend to keep up, keep your catch up short and move on to the next thing. So in order to help you practically introduce some different shared expectations, if there's one area that you want to develop in your organization or in your team, here are some ideas of how to go about that. For example, you could start by acknowledging contributions. So if something is a shared undertaking, start by giving credit to collaborators and say thank you. Take the time before you move on to acknowledge and thank everyone involved. Also, reflect on the impact of whatever has been achieved. Take an extra moment to think the kind of so what question, whether it's good impact or maybe things didn't work out. Reflect on what difference the work that has been done has made. It's a really useful opportunity to model asking for feedback or acknowledging lessons learned and to bring some achievements into perspective. If you have a lot of oversight of what is happening across the organization and you know why it's meaningful, help communicate that to others and help them understand that as well. And develop your own skills of accepting praise. I think it can be really hard to accept even genuine praise, particularly from people whose opinion you value. Some people love being applauded and others don't feel they deserve the credit. So learning how to accept praise and modeling that for your team is really an important skill to have and also helps others to understand that it's okay to accept praise and to feel valued and feeling seen, particularly when it comes into a digital context. And that really helps also set expectations around 
taking a break once you have achieved something and stepping back from the relentless pace of work helps people understand that sometimes enough is enough and good enough can be good enough and you can take a step back and maybe have a tea break have a screen break or even down tools for today so those are two practical examples of how to set shared expectations around both collaboration and work-life balance so let's go and move on to the reflective part of today's topic For today's topic, the prompts are designed to help you identify blind spots and open up new ways to think about the way you work. So as before, set aside some time to reflect um, to help develop your critical, analytical and reflective skills as a leader or manager. You're welcome to think along now with the prompts as I read them out or pause the podcast after each prompt to note down your thoughts and reflect or you can come back to the thoughts and prompts later today um, or another time going to the show notes or have a look at the blog post where they're all included. So the first prompt for this topic's reflection is how do you communicate your expectations to your team? Think about with this prompt all the different ways in which you communicate, maybe not just verbal and written communication, but maybe the example that you set and how you communicate by how you act, engage, and how you're present. Now pause here or move on with me to the next prompt. The next prompt is, what do you communicate by example? This could be a good example, a bad example, intentional, unintentional, what do you think you communicate by example? Again, pause here or move on with me to the next prompt. Prompt number three is how does your approach affirm or contradict your expectations? How does your approach confirm or contradict your expectations? And finally, the last prompt for today, how do your expectations differ for yourself and others? This is, I think, a really interesting question to ask yourself because we often apply different standards to ourselves than we do for others. And unintentionally, the expectations we have of ourselves often bleed through into the example we set for others. So that is an interesting question, I think, to explore a little bit further. How do your expectations differ for yourself and for others? Those are the reflective prompts for this topic. And before we finish today, I want to jump in to the tools and resources included for this topic. So we have a really interesting blog post by Mary Burgess on work-life balance as well as another really interesting blog post about working on the weekends at Muller. Also have really interesting couple of reads around 
meeting and online meeting and virtual meetings um, with a range of different articles, um, both from a student and a work perspective. And I think some of these readings really invite you to reflect a little bit more on the commonalities between online working and online learning, which if you work in higher ed particularly might be an easy jump for you. But also, I think, remind us that many of the challenges that we face around setting expectations and building a positive team culture aren't necessarily unique to the workplace, but are the same for online learning, education, training, the wider context of people interacting online. So I hope you enjoy having a look at those tools and resources if you want to do a deeper dive into this topic. Thanks for listening. This concludes this part of how to lead virtual teams. Head over to the show notes for this topic's reflective prompts and tools and resources to explore. For further information, please head over to the course homepage.